Okay, hello everybody, today is Wednesday, and on Wednesdays this year I've been doing a regular segment about the Long Island Serial Killer. But just a couple of quick announcements before we begin. The first is that this show is always available for free download at Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box. You can download the audio version of this program, take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. If you would like to download the video version with the images, you can use YouTube Premium, but that one you have to pay for. Launchpad 1 is free. And if anyone would like to make a contribution to help support the show, there is the buymeacoffee.com page in the description box as well. Anything that will be donated or contributed to the show will be spent on future projects, especially buying equipment and true crime books to talk about with you guys. And the more important announcement for this channel is that I've been doing a regular segment about the Long Island serial killer, but next week on Wednesday, I will be revisiting the case of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders from 1946, talking all about the Phantom Killer and some very bizarre behavior that happened in Texarkana during that year. The Phantom Killer operated mostly only from February to May of 1946, committing a very horrendous crime spree, and this story was publicized and made famous by the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown, both versions of it, as well as numerous documentaries and true crime discussions, and even some old black box recordings on this channel have talked about The Phantom Killer and the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, and the final announcement is that on Fridays, I revisited the story of Stephen Avery in the case of Making a Murderer. Making a Murderer was a Netflix docuseries, but it told the story of Teresa Hallback, who was murdered in 2005, and two people who stand accused of that, Stephen Avery and his nephew Brendan Dassey, who are both currently incarcerated for Teresa's murder. And last week on the Anything Goes Friday segment, I did part one of a book discussion on Wrecking Crew by John Farrakh, the book that claims that it can demolish the case against Stephen Avery and simply demonstrate that he was framed for this crime. And it's a just a shocking story of twists and turns. So if you have not hit that like button and subscribe to the channel yet, now is a great time to do so. So you can follow along with all of these true crime discussions. And weigh in in the comments section. Share your ideas. What do you think about these cases like the Long Island serial killer, the phantom killer, the story of Stephen Avery and Teresa Hallback? I want to hear from you guys. Please just share your ideas. If you have something to say about one of these mysteries, I want to know about it. So, thank you so much to everyone who has left comments in the past. And I should also point out that anybody who makes a contribution to the show via the buymeacoffee.com page will get a shout-out on Zodiac Mondays. Now, to talk about the Long Island serial killer, as you can see from this episode, I wanted to do somewhat of a culmination and to assemble a lot of the previous points and put everything together. I also had the opportunity to revisit the YouTube channel Profiling Evil and watch one of those videos. I have not seen anything from that channel since last year. However, there were some challenge questions that were asked about the Long Island serial killer to the audience, which I will respond to later on in the episode. But to provide a little bit of a set of background information, if you will. The Long Island Serial Killer is an unidentified serial killer or group of killers that operated sometime between 1996 
and the early parts of the last decade. We truly do not know when the crimes began or when the crimes ended, because the Long Island serial killer wasn't somebody such as Jack the Ripper or the Zodiac writing a letter taking credit for specific crimes and giving details that only he and the police would know. In fact, the early crimes that have been attributed to the Long Island serial killer are even more mysterious. The first confirmed victim is the Fire Island Jane Doe, who was murdered in 1996, and a couple was out walking in on Long Island, and they found her legs, as gruesome as that is, and then later on, more than a decade later, her skull was located, so they were able to create the composite sketch of the Fire Island Jane Doe. And somebody asked me a question in the comments section about why do you always say the Fire Island Jane Doe is a confirmed victim of the Long Island serial killer? I mean, how do we truly know that? And the honest answer is, we don't. She is just included on the lists of the confirmed victims. And that is all I have to share with you, because to us in the general public, there are so many competing theories out there about what happened. But yes, the Fire Island Jane Doe is normally counted as a confirmed victim. Very little is known about her, not even her name. And then, that after 1996, the next victims that were murdered were Peaches Jane Doe and Baby Jane Doe. Peaches Jane Doe was murdered in 1997 along with her daughter, and Peaches was dismembered. They found mostly her torso. And there was a video that had been uploaded from CrimeCon that was discussing the Long Island serial killer case on um, YouTube. And they shared um, some observations about Peach's Jane Doe. Firstly, she is perhaps the only confirmed African-American victim of the Long Island serial killer. And I think when I did the episodes, the episode on her, I said that she could also possibly be a Latina, but I mean, you can be both African-American and Latina, but the majority of the Long Island serial killer's victims were Caucasian. That was a rather interesting video from CrimeCon. It was about 10 minutes long, and they shared a couple points. Number one, that this killer is primarily targeting Caucasian white females. The second is that the there was a set of jewelry that was found with Peaches Jane Doe, as well as with her daughter, Baby Doe. And... Peaches Jane Doe um, is indeed the mother of Baby Doe, but for the longest time they thought that Baby Doe was the daughter of Valerie Mack because she was buried, or not buried, but her, rain, her remains had been discarded close by to Valerie Mack's remains, Jane Doe number six. But somebody had gone through great lengths to separate Peaches Doe from Baby Doe by at least eight miles. So it's very confusing. But it's a really interesting detail that the only clothing or items that could be worn or the jewelry items that were left behind from Peach's Doe and her daughter. And um, there, there will be a few other exceptions to that. And also, they talked about how there is a belt that should be in evidence that has the letters on it that could possibly be an M and an H or a W and an H. And they actually showed that that is a very small piece of lettering that is on the tip of the belt. I thought that this was going to be something that was going to be wrapping around the waist. But they also said that it's very odd that the authorities don't reveal more photos of the belt. Because 
the whole reason for doing that was they wanted somebody to recognize it, and they thought maybe it's even been lost in evidence. Who knows? But those are just some interesting observations. Okay, so that's in 1997. In the year 2000, the Long Island serial killer would murder the previously mentioned Valerie Mack. She was 24 years old, and for the longest time, Valerie Mack was unidentified. She was simply known as Manorville Jane Doe, and they did think that she was the mother of Baby Doe, but of course she is not, and she was identified in 2018 using DNA, and all of these women to this point have been dismembered. And because of the activities of this person, they began to call the serial killer the Manorville Butcher, because Valerie Mack was known as Manorville Jane Doe for a while. But the Manderville Butcher really came into prominence because in 2003, three years later, the Manderville Butcher would attack Jessica Taylor, and she was 20 years old. And not only was she dismembered, but she had a tattoo on her body that was cut up. And then they knew very well that a serial killer was operating in the Manderville area. So... This is when the early crimes may have stopped, and there is one victim that I believe it was murdered by the Long Island serial killer, if indeed there is a single perpetrator, and that is Cherry's Jane Doe, who was murdered in early 2007. Cherry's Jane Doe was murdered, and her remains were dismembered, her torso was put into a suitcase in the early part of 2007, but she is listed as an unconfirmed victim. Peaches and cherries get their names because they both have tattoos of these respective fruits on their breasts. And then in the later part of 2007, it's actually in the summer, the Long Island serial killer that we know of today would take shape. And firstly, he would go after Maureen Brainerd Barnes in the summer of 2007, I believe it's actually summer, late spring time, and then in 2009, the Long Island serial killer would go after Melissa Bartolome, and then Megan Waterman in 2010, as well as Amber Lynn Costello would be the final victim. Those four victims are referred to as the Gilgo Four, but the important thing to note is their bodies were not mutilated. I mean, some of the Manorville Butcher victims were decapitated. They were just, their bodies were absolutely eviscerated. And um, there was even this theory on that somebody had online that they thought that the earlier victims had been in the ground for a longer time, so that animals may have torn their bodies apart. And um, I just don't know if that's very plausible. I mean, to the point where somebody would be losing their skull, but that is something that somebody put out in one YouTube video trying to show that the all these crimes could have been committed by a similar person, and I think the authorities can tell if, um, if, if skeletal remains have been torn apart by animals rather than being cut apart by human instrumental obstruction, like if people are using a scalpel or a knife or an axe that the medical examiners can tell very easily, so I don't think that theory has any credit or merit at all. But the Gilgo Four were strangled, and at least two of their bodies were rolled into burlap and thrown into the brush area. 
or near Gilgo Beach. That's why the Long Island serial killer is referred to as the Gilgo Beach Killer, also the Craigslist Ripper. But I said that there were some challenge questions that were asked on profiling evil. Number one, why is this serial killer targeting sex workers? Most of these people were known to have worked in the sex trade, escorts, or prostitutes. I mean, as I said, the Fire Island Jane Doe, we know almost nothing about her. They they found her legs and her skull, but I mean, they have their theories. Why is the Long Island serial killer targeting sex workers? I think that it's a very straightforward question, because with a lot of serial killers, the reasons why they target sex workers is simply animosity toward women, that this person is dealing with some type of very bad experience with their mother, or maybe it's even just the lack of experience, that uh, maybe the mother walked out on him at age two or something like that, and he never knew his mother. So I definitely think there is a hatred of women, and the reason why they go after sex workers is they have the ability to get them to a particular location. It is very easy to get this person into your vehicle, and many serial killers do this. Robert Hansen, the butcher baker, a serial killer from Alaska, said that he would prey on prostitutes, and when the woman would get into his car, he could slap a pair of handcuffs on her like a reflex. It was just so fast, because that's just it. It's, it's much easier to get someone into the vehicle on the premise of earning money for sex work, as opposed to just approaching random people on the street. So that's why I believe that the person's targeting sex workers purely out of convenience. I think that if this person had the ability to be charming and persuasive, or even thoughtful and fantasyful like Ted Bundy, for example, that he might not have done that. Ted Bundy would wear a cast on his arm and say that his arm is broken, and he would make up some story about, oh, can you help me with something on my boat? And that is, um... I don't I don't even think that the Long Island serial killer is that creative. I think that he's more just going after sex workers because of convenience. And I don't even really want to say this because I don't believe it 100%. But there are some people out there who believe that um, this type of activity, um, escorting and prostitution, is degrading to the human body. And they view them as inferior human beings. I don't believe that. But would somebody like the Long Island serial killer believe that? Most likely. And I do think that that needs to be addressed because the question was, why is this per person targeting sex workers? Convenience, lack of respect for women in general, and absolutely zero respect for the women who are working in this profession. That is the way that the killer would be thinking, mind you. And the second question was, why are all of these bodies found on Gilgo Beach in Long Island? Now, I'm very, very open with you guys. I am not a New Yorker. I'm a West Virginian. Why Gilgo Beach? After looking into the Long Island serial killer case, I pulled up some maps of New York and Long Island, and absolutely Gilgo Beach, because the roads go along the south shore of Long Island, and then they, there's a right turn that is to be made, and then that just goes on this very secluded stretch known as the Ocean Parkway, where it's not connected exactly to any other major highway. In short, 
the area where Gilgo Beach is juts out into the water much uh, at a much greater distance than the other parts of Long Island. It is very secluded. And there are a couple of different points that have been raised by you guys in the comments section. The first one is that someone said that this is just the absolute most convenient dumping ground on the entire south side of Long Island because it is so secluded. And you have to imagine something like that with the Gilgo 4, with um, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Melissa Bartolome, Megan Waterman, and Amber Lynn Costello. Somebody is more or less driving along the south side of the parkway and removing their bodies, perhaps in rolled burlap, and tossing them into the brush, not being seen by anyone. Absolutely not. And then that has to be a very secluded place. I know that 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning, you would think that maybe there wouldn't be that many cars going by. Well, I'm sure there would be traffic on the road, but this person is just have, waiting for an opportune time to toss uh, somebody's remains onto the uh, Brushy Beach area. It really does um, just look like another convenience location. So there's also somebody who left a very um, good comment about how because this is happening on the South Shore driving away from New York City, that she believed that the Long Island serial killer was a resident of Queens, New York. And again, I pulled up the maps, and yep, Queens just goes right into Long Island. And I don't think that that's a ridiculous statement. Absolutely not. Because that would also suggest that a lot of these women are meeting people in the city. Not all of them, though. Not all of them. Because Amberlynn Costello was um, definitely going to meet somebody on Long Island. And there are some examples of people who have been working in the city, such as uh, Maureen Brainerd Barnes would be a very clear um, case, where she normally worked out of a motel room, but then she got a um, call from somebody... And then she decided to break from the pattern, break from her safety network. And I've been talking about this with you guys in the comments section. Why would somebody do that? And firstly, I, I just brought that up because she is in New York City. I believe that was at the Super 8 Hotel. But why would somebody deviate from that type of pattern? And you guys in the comments section were pointing out that this guy could be regular clients of all of these women. And the way that he gets them to secluded areas is by building up their trust and confidence. And maybe she has seen him two or three times, and then she's not afraid of him. That's why she's willing to go out, and um, he's offering her more money. And with um, Amberlyn Costello, very precisely, they say that that's the reason why she went out with um, to see the Long Island serial killer. It was on the promise of earning a lot more money than she normally would have. But I also revisited the 48-hour special that was done on the Long Island serial killer. And to the credit of Erin Moriarty, she's been all over this case. A lot of the detailed write-ups about the victims' families have come from CBS and from Erin Moriarty herself being involved in some way. And what they were proposing was that... The Long Island serial killer is offering them this big payday, and that 
they're even just hurrying out without their stuff. And they're talking about how Amber left behind her phone and her purse and that she just went out to meet the guy around the corner so no one could see him and nobody knew who he was and that he had been calling her from a burner phone. I don't really um, have too many comments on that. I think that's very strange. And I was talking about this on Zodiac Monday, even though I was just giving credit to Aaron Moriarty and CBS and 48 Hours. Those shows are primarily done for entertainment. And they have no real desire to share and report on the facts in any truthful way. And I think all of us are somewhat aware of that. I mean, we all reference programs like 48 Hours and Dateline and 2020, or as I was doing last week on Zodiac Monday, Primetime Live, but they are going to say whatever they want just to get people to keep watching. And the reason I bring this up is because when I did the episode on Amber Lynn Costello, very clearly all the articles about her said that the reason why she did not bring her phone or any other items with her was because the client asked her not to. Not that she hurried out and that she did it on her own. So there's some conflicting information there, and that would support what you, um, you guys said in the comments section, that she knew who this person was and that she trusted uh, him and that he had uh, seen her multiple times. Although, here's a here's a bit of counterbalance. A big challenge to that is that if she had seen him multiple times, then how come she has not mentioned anything about him? How come, if she's seen this person three times, not a single detail was shared to anyone? Oh yeah, he drives this color car, or that he lives in this house, I'm going to this place at, um, over down by this street. Um, so I think that a couple things are possible, and we have to remember this is still an unsolved case. But... I also want to point out that CBS and 48 Hours brought up a very big challenge question of their own. They said it as a declarative statement, but I will form it into a challenge question. Did the Long Island serial killer continue to murder people after the discovery of the serial killer graveyard? Their answer to that was absolutely yes. Absolutely. Because they thought that they discovered all these bodies on Gilgo Beach. This person just simply would have changed their method, that this person is just going to continue to commit crimes until he is no longer able to do so. And I'm really on the fence about that, because from talking about a lot of true crime cases here on Black Box Online Radio, I've also stated very clearly that serial killers have heightened predatory instincts. And the biggest reason why serial killers stop killing is because Either they have some type of injury to their body, or they feel that they cannot commit the crimes and get away with it. Predatory instincts. They are aware that it is now more difficult for me to commit the crimes, even if I want to. I'm not going to get away with it. I'm going to get caught. So I'm really on the fence about that. But let's look at some of the possible theories associated with the Long Island serial killer. The first one is that this person was only using Long Island as a serial killer dumping ground in the spring and the summer, and that 
there are reasons why, because he's a seasonal worker, maybe works with the boats, maybe works with, um, the, um, greenery or something, or, like, gardening, therefore, he doesn't have to be on Long Island all the time, so he can go after women only when he is there, and Classic Chevy Cat brought up something in the comments section that, is it possible that there is a single killer who deviated from the pattern of mutilating and dismembering the victims because he lost a particular house or vehicle that he was using? Maybe he had like a garage with a sink in it, and then he um, no longer had that residence, so he still wanted to keep committing the crimes. So he began strangling the victims in 2007 and then discarding their remains on Gilgo Beach. And also, I need to, um, say something about one possible Long Island serial killer victim, and her name is Shannon Gilbert. She disappeared in between the murders of Melissa Bartolome and Megan Waterman. And Shannon Gilbert is perhaps the most famous person associated with this case, although the authorities absolutely do not believe that she was killed by the Long Island serial killer. I also do not believe that she was killed by the Long Island serial killer. And I think that this is so confusing because it was uh, Tyler Grover who pointed this out in the comments section that, well, what are the odds that there's this serial killer graveyard at Gilgo Beach and that Shannon Gilbert, also someone who is an escort, also someone who is working in a similar profession, just runs away from a client, and just somehow ends up dead across the road from a serial killer graveyard that is full of of people who have the same job and who have been murdered under very similar circumstances. How could she not be a victim of the Long Island serial killer? And I think that the answer to that is just, it could be a very huge coincidence. It could be that many people at Gilgo Beach or Oak Beach, the community that Shannon was in was Oak Beach, many people there are using escorts rather frequently. It's not that far from New York City. Shannon was driven to her location by Michael Pack, so I don't know if it's really that much of a leap in the imagination to think that there are escorts there frequently, and this is just the one time that something went horribly wrong internally with Shannon, and that she had some type of manic episode and ran away, and much as the authorities said that she drowned in the marsh, and she may have been trying to uh, wander through the marsh because she was disoriented and she was trying to get back to the Ocean Parkway and flag down a car, but something happened to her, and that she ended up drowning in the shallow marshy waters. That is just guesswork on my part, but they did a lot of that on uh, CBS 48 Hours as well. They were speculating a lot about what could have driven Shannon to um, her demise. So I think that um, Shannon Gilbert's story is horribly tragic, but I don't believe that she was killed by the Long Island serial killer. More importantly, why did the authorities not cooperate as much? Because I talked about that video from CrimeCon where they simply said, Okay, if the authorities openly say that they don't believe that Shannon Gilbert was murdered by the Long Island serial killer, why were they ever hesitant to release any information at all? 
Why not share more findings with the general public? And it wasn't until last year that they actually released the 911 call associated with Shannon Gilbert. And again, she starts out by talking very calmly. And I think that um, you don't really get the heightened sense of Shannon's um, panicking state, rather, until you get through that video. But I do, I've uploaded the full 911 call, or as much as we have of it, uh, on this channel. I mean, I uploaded the version that the police shared. You can hear that on Black Box Online Radio, as well as my own response to it. I believe it's under the title, Shannon Gilbert 911 Call, here on BBOR. But somebody approached me about this in 2021, about doing a multi-part series on the Long Island serial killer. And they said, like, why don't you make like 10 episodes on the list and share that uh, with your audience? And that is easier said than done. 10 episodes, oh my goodness. Because it took three episodes last year just to get under the surface. Like, just to cover the story of Shannon Gilbert, because it is so twisted and confusing. And as I said, I ultimately came to the conclusion that I don't believe Shannon was murdered by the Long Island serial killer, and that her death was a tragedy, but an unconnected tragedy all the same. I also do not believe that Joe Brewer was the Long Island serial killer. I also do not believe that Michael Pack was the Long Island serial killer. Joe Brewer was the client that Shannon was supposed to meet, and Michael Pack was her driver. So, at this point, I, um, at that point, rather, I just had to put so much, um, time and energy trying to figure out what was going on with the Long Island serial killer mystery. And as of now, I have done episodes on almost all of the victims associated with the Long Island serial killer and one possible victim that I have not covered is the Asian male who was found dressed as a woman. Perhaps I can do an episode on him in the future, but if you go through the Long Island Serial Killer playlist on this channel, I can, um, well, I can share everything with you, and I have uh, done the episodes on the Fire Island Jane Doe, Peaches Jane Doe, Valerie Mack, Jessica Taylor, Cherries Jane Doe, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, uh, Melissa Bartolome, Megan Waterman, and Amberlynn Costello. So, all that is available here on Black Box Online Radio. And this is truly a case where, if anything, the victims become the center stage and the suspects get pushed into the foreground. And on that note, in the past, I thought that um, James Bissett was going to be my prime suspect. He was the man who owned the nursery, or, yes, he owned he ran the nursery, which was the largest supplier of burlap in the area, and multiple victims were found rolled into burlap, and he committed suicide two days after the discovery of Shannon Gilbert's body. And I was like, oh my goodness, this this just has to be him, right? But they even discussed James Bissett on CBS, and they said that just because he had a business that had access to burlap doesn't make him the killer. And I'm somewhat forced to agree because I also don't believe that Shannon Gilbert was a victim of the Long Island serial killer. The only suspect right now that I think is high on the list is John Bitrolf, but he is someone who actually had connections to the area and someone who worked as a carpenter. So he has the um, 
the ability to get, probably get access to all of the materials in this some way, somehow. And not only that, but also the things that would be required for dismembering a human body, as disgusting as that sounds. I'm not convinced at all that John Bidroff was the Long Island serial killer, because to be very honest with you guys, I started out this series thinking that there was one person, but now, the more I think about it, I, uh, I always consider the possibility that the Manorville Butcher and the Long Island serial killer were two different people, and they even talked about this on CBS, showing that there are all these other crimes that have taken place that are just very similar, but are they even connected? I mean, could multiple Long Island serial killer victims be unconnected, whether it's the Fire Island Jane Doe, or um, maybe one person murdered Jessica Taylor and Valerie Mack, and then there's a different killer who murdered the Gilgo Four. Could it just be that because this is a secluded area of Long Island, that a lot of twisted and demented people are using it as a dumping ground, and it's created somewhat of a multiple killers phenomenon where it looks like there is a single killer, but in fact there is not. As of now, I do entertain the single killer theory, and I do support the single killer theory, and I do say that there was one person who murdered the women from 1996 to 2010, but I do think about that, and that would definitely be a very rush to judgment answer, that would definitely be a jumping to conclusions answer to say that, oh, well, there are multiple killers that are using this um, place as a dumping ground, and that's why it just looks like there are, looks like there is one killer. But I am curious about it, and I really hope that one day we will get answers to all of these questions. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Long Island Serial Killer, and please tune in next Wednesday for an episode about the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, and of course, Monday is always Zodiac Mondays, and on Fridays I will be talking about Stephen Avery and making a murderer. Okay, you guys are all awesome, and I appreciate every single one of you. You can always hit that like button, subscribe one more time, and anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box, as well as blackboxnid88 on Instagram. And I will see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.